welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome everyone to another episode of Fertility Conversations. Today I'm joined by lovely Garrett, who is an infertility advocate from Ireland. He'll be sharing his uh, journey to parenthood with us today. His details would also be in the show notes, so that way you're able to contact him and follow up after this, uh, after listening to this episode. So welcome, Garrett, and thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me on. Yay, thank you. Uh, so to start off, we usually say, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so as I said, my name is Gareth. I live in Ireland and I am 42 and I will be 43 in April. And my star sign is Aries. I feel like it's an interview (laughs) for a first date. That's great. It's all part of it. So we want to know more about you. So that's great. Thank you for sharing. And um, just, you know, since we're speaking about fertility today and we're going to be speaking a little bit about your journey with your spouse, just uh, mind telling us how you met? Okay, so I used to have um, a wedding video business here in Ireland. Um, ah. Mine, which sounds very glamorous, it's not. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> my now wife came up to go to, long story, well, the, the short end of it, basically, my, Anna came up to go to a wedding now I Mm. wasn't working at the wedding but she came up to Belfast where I was living and grew up at the time and she came up the weekend and after I filmed a oh god actually I it's quite funny so I had a gig to film on the Saturday night and I didn't know if I'd be able to go to the gig and or sorry go meet Anne and the others uh, and in the end, the gig was cancelled because no one turned up at it. And I'd use oh, members wow. of the production crew to stand in front of the camera to make it look like there are loads of people there when there mm. was actually no one there. Um, and I raced back into Belfast and got to meet Anna. And then we started going out in around January 2009, 2010. And then we got married in 2015. Mm-hmm. And... Um, so we've been together about 12, 13 years. Oh, that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I, I've been to Belfast quite a few I know, times really... and I love it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite places in the world. Oh my God. I really love yeah. it. Only in Ireland, you know, they build a, I think this is hilarious. Only in Ireland, they would build a, a, mu- a huge museum and make a fortune out of one of the biggest <laughs> maritime disasters in of all time, you know? So yeah. only in Ireland yeah. do that, you know? And the people are really nice. So I really love it. So yeah, it's, it's good yeah. to see that um, you're from there as well. <laughs> yeah, it's it, it, yeah, it's a really cool city now. Uh, yeah. I don't live there now, but it's really cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention because since you said you're you were raised there, you're that's where you lived initially. So. Yeah, so I now live. I now live southwest of Dublin. Um, ah. Yeah, in kilometers, about sixty kilometers. Um, in miles, is that I think it's around forty miles southwest of Dublin. So, I see. yeah, in County Kildare, that's where okay. we. Okay. Yeah. So. It's, well, I've never been there yet. So who knows? Maybe in the future. Oh, I'll bring you over. I'll, I'll let you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
speaking about fertility, Garrett, I know that you do so much work, you know, speaking on radio stations, uh, you do so much in raising awareness about uh, fertility and infertility. Uh, I thought that uh, it'd be a good start for you to tell us um, a bit about your journey to parenthood, as much or as little as you would like to share. Sure, no problem. So, as I said, Anna and I got married in 2015. I was 35 at the time, Anna was 31. And um, we kind of said maybe we went away on a lovely honeymoon, we went to Vietnam for three weeks, which was nice. brilliant. And mm. uh, we came back and then, you know, I still had my wedding video business, Anna went back to work. Anna's a speech and language therapist. She works with children and adolescents. And um, so Anna went back to work. And then we kind of moved down to around the area we're in now. We were both living in Dublin. And then we had probably an added complication into us having a family. So Anna has MS, which is multiple cirrhosis. And for Anna to get pregnant, she had to come off her MS medication to stand oh. the best chance of her getting pregnant. So we kind of had, if everyone could kind of visualize like a window for Anna to get pregnant. Right. So we, she came off her medication and there was a certain amount of time while the medication was still in her bloodstream. We had to kind of wait then for that to dissipate as such. And then we had our window and we were for trying for, we weren't trying for super long. Okay, I'll be honest, because of this window, mm -hmm. we weren't trying for years and years just to make people aware of that. But what happened was that Anna's, Anna's cycle came every month. Like Anna was not getting pregnant, you know, <laughs> at all. And Anna had had gone and done all her medical checks already. And then she said, you know, let's just see what about you, okay? So there were probably markers in my life that if they had been followed up, I would have discovered quicker about the person I am. So- right. For people listening, I had an undescended testicle as a child. I was about eight or so, and I had an operation to bring that testicle down, but it was never followed up. So it was never followed up going into puberty, post-puberty, how was Gareth's reproductive system? It was just, it wasn't done. And another, funny enough, actually, I I bumped into an ex-girlfriend the other day yeah. and uh, it was actually being with her. If it had been followed up, I could have discovered about the person I am. She noticed that my testicles were smaller. She said, your, your testicles are smaller than other guys she'd been with. Wow. And I thought of asking um, a friend that I lived with. I, this is the idea. So I asked the guy I was, I was living with, a friend I'd known for college, if he thought my testicles were smaller. Now, the reason I asked him was, is that he's gay. And mm -hmm. I thought with him being gay, he's going to see significantly more testicles and penises than I will ever see in my life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, guys don't talk about their health. They don't. And this is my approach. I thought I could ask someone. And he made a big deal out of it and said it was really odd that a straight guy was asking him and he refused to do it. So I had no idea. And um, so back to the 2016, 17 kind of time. And Anna said, why don't you go for sperm analysis? So I went for a local sperm analysis here. 
through our GP, which is our general practitioner. I'm, yeah. I'm not sure how the health system is in Nigeria. So let's add it a bit. Yeah, more yeah for sure. Yeah. Um, so for people who are unaware of the health system, our health system runs similar to the NHS in the UK. And uh, so I went to see the GP and I gave this, I gave the sample in, I went to the lab. And then I got a call a few days later to say, Gareth, the sperm analysis result has come in and it says zero sperm count. Now, I was like, what? <laughs> zero yeah. sperm count? How? How is that possible? And my doctor said, you know, Gareth, you know, sometimes it could be just like it happens the odd time, the very odd time. It's quite rare. But sometimes, you know, a mistake could have happened in the lab. So why don't we do a second sperm analysis? So usually they would say you have to have a bigger gap. I can't remember for like a good few months to do a second sperm analysis, but because of our window with Anna's yeah. health, the GP arranged for us to have a follow-up like a week or two later. And I remember getting the call from the GP. The GP said, Gareth, uh, we just got the results of the second sperm analysis and that is a zero sperm count which means there's no sperm present in the sample. And I was like, <laughs> like, what? What do you mean there's no sperm? Like, how did I not know I didn't have any sperm? How was that possible? And I rang Anna, and Anna, it was a Friday afternoon, so Anna was almost finished work, and her colleagues said, go on home, you need to be with Gareth, you need to be for everything. and. It was just like my memory of that stage is quite hazy now. I was just in shock. Like, how did I not know I didn't have sperm? Like how, how like, like for people listening to this, like it isn't like my ejaculate was any, was a different color. You know, it wasn't like it was clear you know, yeah. in a very visual way. Like there was no visual indicator that I didn't, you know, that if you're, if you don't have sperm that your ejaculate is a different color or it's clear, like there isn't like a, like a visual indicator for people. And I just, I started to kind of retreat within myself at that stage. I want not complete retreat within myself, but I was, I was probably while starting to get a bit depressed because like, I didn't know anyone. I didn't, I didn't know any other guys who were going through this and I couldn't tell my family because, and it's still like this, I don't have a very good relationship with my family. So for people listening, my mother died of cancer in 2006. Oh, and so thank you. And it was after mom died. Mom was like the glue that held our family together. So I'm one of four boys and certain family members started to kind of move into the position that my mother had been in. And there are narcissistic characteristics in members of my family. And if they knew, if they knew at that stage that I didn't have sperm, they would just ridicule me, make jokes out of me, tell all the extended family, Gareth's not a man, Gareth's a, a freak, Gareth's, Gareth's an idiot, Gareth, it'd be all nasty and it'd be no, why would I tell them? So they had no idea. And I was actually going for therapy at the time because of um, because of them. I was going for narcissistic um, victim therapy 
because of the because of the abuse I was encountering from them over the years I had built up over the years and they know they had no idea none of my family knew so the RGP then organized for people listening so RGP organized for us to go and see a urologist and I was I was probably a bit more upbeat about this because I felt you know the urologist is going to say Gareth you take this course of medication there's an issue we can maybe bypass the penis we yeah. do experiment extraction I was kind of aware of some kind of things like this but you know I know idea of the massive bombshell so if people there's a really famous film from back in the day you remember the film Thelma, Thelma and Louise yeah okay so you imagine that last sequence they're they're at the top of the cliff and they're in the car so I visualized that that was me sitting in the <laughs> all yeah. knowing I was sitting in the front of that car about to drive off the fucking cliff <laughs> because I just felt he was going to say, Gareth, you take this medication, you change your lifestyle, you do this, you do that, and your sperm will appear. So, because again, I was very familiar with that uh, of infertility, but I was only really aware of women with infertility. I didn't know any men, didn't know any people at all about it. And he he looked at he looked at me briefly. He looked at some of the past results looking directly in the eye and said, excuse me, Gareth, it doesn't work downstairs. You Oof. need to get over that and move on. Who says that? That this is a big inverted commas, a professional, you know, this is what he said to me. Oof. And it's horrible. It I was like, what? And I and I was like, and then well, I've talked about this on the radio. I my memory goes really quite hazy there and I would describe it as an out-of-body experience because though I was in the room I kind of then visualized myself floating above myself and all these extreme thoughts like I was kind of thinking there are terrorists in the world they kill main people they can have children why can't I have children like what have I done like I'm a decent human I'm a nice person what yeah. have I done? And all these thoughts, and they were spiraling and spiraling and spiraling and spiraling. And Anna asked a series of questions. And Anna has done some interviews as well. And he was equally unhelpful with, with her, with the response that he gave. Like Anna said, well, could we adopt? And he was quite dismissive about Anna's, I can't remember now exactly what he said, but he was equally dismissive. And he had zero bedside manner. Now the Jeez. only, yeah, awful, awful. And the only good thing about that guy is, is that he's now retired. Oh, good thing. Yeah. yeah. No one else yeah. has to deal with that. Yeah. No one else, but he probably, I, he probably was still operating for another few years. I'm not sure when he retired, but like, it was just, excuse language, but it was fucking dreadful. Like no one has to be told that way with yeah. such little compassion and caring for anyone else. And like, if he did that to me, he he has done that to countless others, and it's just not acceptable. Um, so, well, will I go? Will I tell you the next bit? <laughs> or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead, because we we want to know. Because I think many people don't realize that uh, 
sperm is not the same thing as semen, right? Because people think, well, of course, it's fine when I have sex and ejaculate, there's something there. So what do you mean there's no sperm, right? Because I think oftentimes you cannot tell the difference unless you actually get to know that it's not the same. Exactly. Um, so yeah. it's good for you to highlight that. Thank you. And of course, again, highlighting the fact that oftentimes infertility seems to be with women, right? That's the general but, public idea, yeah. but that's not really reality. So thank you for sharing your story. And please, yeah, go ahead and let us know exactly what happened afterwards um, after sure. this uh, conversation with the doctor. Sure. So for those listening, I'm going to give out a series of different names and stuff like that. So when people want to follow up, this is like like a call to action that they're not just like, well, where do we go now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we're fortunate because of where we Ireland is geographically. We're so close to London, like you know yourself. Ireland, yeah. Dublin to London to Gatwick is a 55 minute flight time. Like the aircraft is up to 35,000 feet and then it drops down again. (laughs) (laughs) So we're so, so close. So at that point in my life, I, like we left that urologist, like Anne and I completely broke down outside in the the car park. And I really retreated within myself. Like I'm a very, I'd be very sociable person. And I completely retreated myself. I started drinking more alcohol. Uh, loads of beer wine all the rest of it I started playing more online games on my xbox Mm. and I stopped running like I love running and basically it was pure escapism I didn't have any way to kind of come to terms with this because there was no there was no role models you know there were no people out there saying for guys saying look if you don't have sperm or you're experiencing infertility here's a support group you can join you know there was nothing out there so you were really alone and what Anna said to me is that basically that I didn't write is she said we're going to try and find an answer for this so she went onto a website called rollercoaster.ie as a kind of a parent kind of website and she was on the forums and like I was a physical and mental wreck I had I did not have the motivation to to even look at what to do because I was so I was so broken from the experience with that urologist. Yeah. And Anna found the name called Jonathan Ramsey. And Jonathan Ramsey is a urologist uh, in London. Mm-hmm. And we went to see him. So we went over in the, I think it was May or June anyway. And that would have been around 2017, I think it was. We raced across London. Our flight was delayed in Ireland and we've raced across. And I remember to this day walking in, like he has this fantastic voice and meeting him and you're in his presence. You know, this is my second time meeting your Rajas. So I was probably being honest, I was kind of on edge a bit because I had such a bad experience of the previous guy in Ireland and not yeah. that I want to put all your Rajas in the same of course, yeah. But pool, but you know, I had not had a good experience. And anyway, we we met him and he just he kind of looked at all the results and he did an examination of me. And I didn't realize at the time, and I will get to this, and people listening are probably wondering why does Gareth use um visual indicators in his way of talking? 
So I have, I'm going to tell everyone about it in a second. So I have a trait associated with a genetic condition that I have. And one of the ways is how I think. So I'm a visual thinker. Mm. So what Jonathan Ramsey then did was he drew a picture of two testicles and a penis. And he explained that he believed I should get an FNA operation, which, is a, which stands for a fine needle aspiration. And this is a mapping procedure. So good start, you're under anesthetic. So that's a great start. And what he does and his colleagues do is they put 16 fine needles into each testicle, in the testicle sac, looking for pools of sperm. Because he explained that sometimes, for whatever reason, there can be a blockage within the penis. So for, you know, when guys have sex, for whatever reason, the sperm can't be delivered. And this is literally going to the source that they just bypass the penis and they extract the sperm from the testicles. So he, he said, um, okay, that's what, that's what we're going to do. Now, before he did that, he said, we have to organize for you to get um, a special blood test. Now it's called, a, it's a genetic blood test because there were markers and indicators that I talked to with Anna and Jonathan Ramsey. And Jonathan Ramsey believed that I could be a Kleinefelter syndrome person or XXY. So if people are listening and they're going, what's Kleinefelter syndrome? I've never heard of that. Don't feel bad because Kleinefelter syndrome, wait for it, is the most common underdiagnosed genetic condition in the world to affect boys and men. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. So the, the ratio that I roughly go with is, so there is a nonprofit foundation based in California called Living with XXY. And their website is the title livingwithxxy.org, O-R-G. And on their website, they have the rough statistics of how many people have XXY. And they say it's between one in 400 to one in 650. Baby it's a lot of people. Yeah. It's a lot of people. You think it'd be more, more there'd be more people aware of this. So yeah, you're talking, I always go with the figure roughly between 400 and 650, which is around 500, you know, roughly. So it's really, really common and no one knows about it. And so we, he organized for us to get the blood test. I got the blood test. And then he rang us a few weeks later when we were back in Ireland. And it was confirmed that I was XXY. Like I prefer to, to refer to it as XXY. And I'll tell you why and your listeners is that when people hear that I have a syndrome, they see me in a lesser light. When people hear the word syndrome, it is just... It's a kind of a loaded word with other genetic conditions. And I am seeing a lesser light and I've had people being very insulting some of the things they say to me. So I actually prefer to refer to it as XXY. Now, people are going, why is it, what's XXY? So if you're at a chromosomal level, women are XX, men are XY, 
and I am XXY. So I was born with an extra X chromosome. And that is what Kleinefelter syndrome is. Just to kind of tie that all up there. That really helps. I think that really helps people to, again, to, to understand it better, to, to see what's going on. Yeah, so he said, back to the operation, I know I'm jumping back and forwards. I'm just trying to fill yeah, okay. yeah. every listing because there's mm-hmm. so much to cover. And he said, okay, it's confirmed you're XXY. And he said that at the time, I was 37. So he said, why don't we, are you open to doing the FNA, the, the mapping procedure? Now he told Anna and I ahead of time, he said, the chances of finding sperm, Gareth, are going to be pretty low because at the time, he said, what they have found from talking to himself and his colleagues around the world is that most men, if they have the ability to produce sperm as, as their XXY, it'll drop off in their mid-20s. And I was 37. So he kind of felt that it was going to be almost zero. But the cost of the operation wasn't that much. So I said, sure, let's do it. So I went for the operation. And this is where it gets really interesting. So Jonathan Ramsey came in to me and Anna were in recovery. And I believe it was the Hammersmith Hospital in London. Mm -hmm. And he came in and I remember very clearly him saying to Anna and me saying, Gareth is truly a unique person. He is, he's the very first person I've ever come across who in his mid to late thirties still has the ability to produce the building blocks to build sperm. That was the language he used. So I'm not sure exactly what that means. But <laughs> so he said, you're the very first person I've ever come across. And at that stage, he said, I believe you are a mosaic of XXY. So that means I have XXY and XY sex cells. So I am in the kind of smaller subgroup within the sphere of the XXY bubble in a very kind of visual way again. So what I then went on, what he suggested, sorry, what he suggested was that I should go on a cocktail of different hormones to the plan was that if I absorbed all these hormones, all these different drugs, that my body would turn it into the fuel, you know, testosterone and stuff like that. And that would become the fuel to build sperm. This was the plan. Okay. So, so just before we kind of get up to what happened next, again, people listening, if they imagine the scale from zero to 30, okay. And Ireland, UK, a lot of Europe, and I'm not sure about uh, in what this, how, how testosterone is measured across Africa, but the scale we use is from zero to 30, and anyone can understand this. And I was told that most men's natural testosterone falls between 19 and 24. And when I found out that I was XXY, it was discovered that my natural testosterone, this is from blood tests, this is how it's tested, that my natural testosterone level is between 11 to 13. So, oh. so I have been operating all my life on, at the very minimum, a third less testosterone than an XY man. And 
Now, my body, it's, it, this is really remarkable about being an XXY person is that people listening, if they go and Google XXY or Kleinfelter syndrome, there is a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of um, just rubbish, crap. And it's, it still pisses me off, to be honest, the amount of things that people, okay, there are some drawbacks to being XXY, but I don't see it as a drawback. So this is just to give you an idea of how resilient my body is. So even though my testosterone was at the very minimum, Ola, a third less than an XY guy, in 2013, I cycled the length of Ireland on a road bike in six days. That's a wow. Yeah, a distance of 693 kilometers on a road bike. Well done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so, and I did that not knowing I was XXY. So I was six days, like my longest day um, was 96 miles on a road bike. Very impressive. Yeah, so I did that, okay. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, and then in 2016, I ran a marathon. Distance of 20. Wow, Garrett. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but... Yeah, I know. So I know. I, I sound like Linford Christie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I need long retired. And, uh, yeah. So I kind of highlight those two things because when people, if people do Google XXY or Kleinfelter syndrome, there is this kind of, I wouldn't say myth because it varies. So I know I'm jumping away from part of my sore, but it's connected. So for people listening, XXY is a spectrum. So if you meet one person with XXY, you've met one person with XXY. Though there are various traits that some of us have, it, it varies from person to person. So some of the visual things are you can be very tall. Um, I can't think what it is in centimeters. I'm six foot three in height. Wow, very, you're pretty yeah. tall. I'm oh. a pretty tall guy. Um, uh, your testicles are smaller. So... But again, I didn't have any inkling because, you know, guys don't talk about this stuff. Yeah. I'm sure, like, how are you to know? And um, other things is you have nat you can have naturally lower testosterone, as I mentioned. Like, there, there are just two or three indicators. There's a wider spectrum. Um, another thing I've learned about being XXY is a lot of us, like anyone I've ever talked to, who is XXY, some of the, they are creative. So my background is TV video production, photography. Mm. Um, there's a guy in England I'm very good friends with, and he, 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 he's a builder. And another trait that he has, and a few of us have, is this really good sense of direction. So That's here's a really nice, good... You know. Yeah, so this is really handy, good stuff to have, okay? And... Mm. Um, like there's a couple I was talking to recently, uh, they're up in Scotland, and and it turned out that they were away in the Canaries, some island or other, and his wife had been there multiple times. So I met, the reason I mentioned this is this is an insight into how some of our brains work, because our brains are actually built, I learned this, are built differently to an XY man's brain. Our brains are built differently. And they had, she had been to this, hotel multiple times and they went out for the day and they drove everywhere and when they came when, when they're going home 
his wife was going to put the information back into Google on her phone. And her husband, who's XXY, said, no, no, we don't need to. I remember all the turns to get back to the hotel. And sure enough, he did. And he'd only, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he'd only been on the Canary. That was his first trip to, to that Canary Island. She'd been there multiple times. This was his very first time. And he that's was amazing. able to navigate back. And that's just such a positive thing. Like, yeah, <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> it's, brilliant. it's like, oh, oh, you you mirror Neanderthal with your iPhone. Let me just use my brain. <laughs> I know, I'm like, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll throw mine in the sea. Um, so, yeah, so I know I kind of jump off, off the wagon there, but I'm just kind of trying to kind of pull everyone along on this story I have. And so where are we? We're back to the operation. So sorry, I jumped way off there and now I'm back. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. So he said, you know, Gareth, let's put you on a series of different drugs. So one of the drugs that I was prescribed was Clomed. Now, uh, Clomed, yes, is a drug given to women for breast cancer. And the reason I originally mentioned about the testosterone scale is that when I had my first operation, my natural testosterone levels crashed to four. Like, oh. yeah. And where we live here in Ireland, in the town we live in, if I, in our old place, we, we, there's a river runs through the middle of our town here. So in our old home, if I wanted to, to go up the road to the, to the newsagent, to the shop to get say a loaf of bread or some eggs or whatever. Um, I couldn't walk that far. It was physically beyond me. I couldn't walk that. I was so fatigued. I was so exhausted. And this is within a year of me running the marathon. So I'd gone from running 26.2 miles, 42.4 kilometers or something like that, to I couldn't even walk 600 meters across a bridge. Like so this now. was because of the surgery? Yeah, it, I, I don't know how it happened, but basically because my body had, had adapted to operating on a third less testosterone, that oh. basically, um, I don't know how it happened, my levels crashed. So basically when the needles in, went in, somehow or other it affected the balance my body had found on operating on a mm. third less testosterone. And my levels crashed to four. And it took months and months and months for my levels to rise, like months, months. And with all the stress going on and everything, um, I ended up having an eight-day holiday in the local hospital because I had to get my appendix out. So that was great crack. And uh, so that then pushed back the micro which is the second operation, um, yeah. I'm sure if, yeah, yeah, I can't remember what it all stands for. And that was largely a repeat of the first operation. Now, before we went for this operation, for people listening, um, like Jonathan Ramsey had told us ahead of time, and this is why he's such a great consultant. He gives you very realistic expectations of how successful something's going to be from his experience. Um, I have heard of other people around the world who've contacted me and various consultants have told them figures that are not realistic. 
So this is one of the great things about Jonathan Ramsey. And he had said, you know, the chances of this working are quite slim, like very, very low figures. So he said, you and Anna need to look at using a sperm donor because there's no point doing our micro TZ. And then we have the eggs from Anna. So this is, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I forgot to fill that in. So the, the approach with the micro TZ was that if I was able to produce sperm, they would do a sperm extraction from my testicles and then they would do a synchronized um, remember cycle. The cycle. cycle. Yes, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I got lost mm -hmm. my there with <laughs> Anna's eggs and fertilize my sperm with Anna's eggs. This was the plan. So apologies, everyone listening. I didn't fill that in. So, but he said ahead of time, we can't kind of pull our eggs in one basket if that's going to work. So you guys need to go and look at using a sperm donor. And that was really, really difficult. It was so difficult. Um, it's, oh my God, it's so hard going onto those websites. Um, again, like the visually way I think of people are say, people are kind of new to this and are kind of like, well, what's that like? It's like, um, it's like saying you want to buy a new car. So we'll say, so Olo, give me an idea of what kind of car you like, you would aspire to get. Oh, um, uh, Posh Cane. Okay, I, what, what manufacturer is that? I don't know what that Porsche. is. Porsche. Okay, a Porsche. Okay, so we'll say you're on the Porsche. Like a Jeep, Porsche Jeep. Oh, Porsche so, Jeep, okay. Yes, yeah, a Cane, yeah. <laughs> okay, okay so, oh, what's that one? Um, so, so we'll say you're on the Porsche uh, website. You can then, of course, pick the color of the vehicle, um, yeah. the kind of the engine, yes, the, the alloys, <laughs> all this extra stuff. And that is how I would describe going on to uh, a website looking for sperm, because you can put in all these filters, you know, their, their hair color, their height, their skin color, their education, like all this extra information. And I found it really difficult. I found it very overwhelming because I was in, still in turmoil with the person I was potentially going to be, which was an infertile man. But I was now trying to find a potential candidate, a potential potential replacement for me. For yourself, yeah. So I was kind of trying to balance these two things in my head. And what started happening was we go onto these various websites and it was just really overwhelming. Like it was awful. And then what I started doing was I started trying to find problems with the donors. Like, mm. you know, oh, I don't really like the way that guy looks when he's three. But you're like any child when they're three, you know, they're covered in ice cream and rolling around and God knows what. So like, you know, yeah. you know, so it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with that person. It was because of the conflict within me about who I potentially was. And a lot of times I would, I'd find it really difficult. Um, and there's, I also have the ability for people listening to this. I have the ability to remember my dreams. So oh. yeah. So when I had, when I had that first meeting with that first urologist, which is a bit further back in our story here, I started to have a dream and Anna was with this child and it was a child wasn't a boy or girl it was just a child and I we were outside our home here 
and I was across the lawn and I was kind of waiting there and had my arms out and for the and waiting for the child to run across to me. And I had this, so basically what happened was the child ran across the lawn, the child began to fade. And in the end, I'd be sitting there, knelt, or kneeling down, my arms out, and the child would never make it to me. The child always disappeared before it got to me. And this dream went on for a long time, it would come and go. And I would have this dream repeating over and over and over again. And when I talked to my therapist about that, she said, that is your brain, Gareth, coming to working out the trauma of not being able to father a child biologically, which is quite incredible that my brain built it in such a visual way that then I could remember that. And, you know, so people are having dreams and they can't kind of remember this is maybe something to be maybe aware of that maybe they can do this too. And so back to then to the, the websites. And in the end, what we did was we went back to Jonathan Ramsey and we said, Jonathan, we're finding this very difficult. There's just so much choice and we're just completely overwhelmed. And he said, we asked him, do you know anyone who can help us? And he said, I have a very good colleague I work with, a woman called Erica Foster. And Erica is E-R-I-C-A Foster, F-O-S-T-E-R. And she has a small sperm bank. And she told me, I'm still in touch with her. She told me what hospital it's in. And now I've forgotten. So if people <laughs> contact me afterwards, I will find the details for them. So we contacted Erica. And I sent her a message through LinkedIn. And she rang us like, or so a day or so later. And she said, Sam and I, said, this is kind of weird, but I actually have a donor that looks really like Gareth. Oh, wow. I, yeah. Because I can chance it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because she said, I can see what Gareth looks like on his LinkedIn profile. And still, it's still the same oh. image. And, um, <laughs> excuse me. And all we know is that a uh, sperm donor, donor number eight. And we got a really good vibe off Erica. And she, she said that basically, that in the UK, maybe it's changed, I'm not sure, but in the UK, you're limited as a sperm donor, and the thing as well for an egg donor, to 10 families. That's the most you can give your sperm to. But this guy only wanted to give his sperm to three families. So his sperm was a bit more expensive. <laughs> so um, so we, 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 we just got a really good feeling from her, and she said he, he's doing because he wants to do it, and he it's a good thing to do. And we just got a really good feeling about the guy. So, so we said, okay, we opted for him. Um, and it was great because here was a, here was a, a woman that was, and she's very, she's very personal, Erica. This is the great thing about Erica, because some of these sites when you're going on, you know, you're just candidate number 225 or 3,021. You are just another number. This is, a completely different experience like Erica told us so many nice things about the donor and she's just a decent caring human being which is brilliant it's what we need for yeah. people who are experiencing what Anna and I experiencing or experiencing at the moment because you're in such a vulnerable place both financially and emotionally and it was brilliant so 
I went back to the operation. We went to the micro teasy, and I was in surgery for a few hours. Of course, I have no memory of this. So, and I came out of recovery, and Anna was with me, and they actually said at that stage that my body's ability to produce sperm had actually diminished. I couldn't do it any longer. And it was then confirmed at that stage that I was infertile at that stage. So, yeah, quite a lot. That must have, that must have been all very difficult for, for you well, and even for Anna as well. Well, it was a bit of shock, but it was also, it was also a door closing and a bit of relief because I had gone through so much, like I had, I had three operations within a year. I'd been on months and months of hormone treatment. Um, like I have a really bad phobia of needles. I find being in hospitals particularly difficult, even still, I'm better now than what I used to be. And I think it's because my mom died in a hospice. I have all these memories and I also have a form of photographic memory. So I have the ability, Ola, to step into memories as if I'm experiencing them for the first time. And it's, I've been able to do this. And I always have thought until very recently, everyone could do this and then I find out that they can't. So that is a potential uh, trait or associated trait of being able to do this kind of um, ability of XXY. And, you know, like Adam's having to inject me sometimes three times a week. And it would hurt like hell. I hated it. And I'd have to go to the toilet loads. I'd have a lot of bowel movements. Like, like I, was, I was destroyed from doing this. But I was like, you know, I'm just going to do everything. I'm going to put my phobia of needles aside to, become a, to potentially become a dad because this is a potential avenue for us. And in a lot of ways, I had, of course, I had the grief. I had all those dreams that dragged on for weeks and months and but also it was a, it was kind of like a big a big relief at the same time because being born xxy it isn't it isn't something it isn't like i had an accident or i took a load of different uh, medications when i was into body i'm not into bodybuilding but you know there you, if you take too much of certain um hormones and stuff like that if you're into bodybuilding you can damage your or your ability to produce sperm. So it wasn't anything that I had done. So actually, when I was told I was infertile, it was very upsetting. But at the same time, it was, it was like, okay, well, I've done everything I can. And I biologically can't have children. But it was kind of, I'm trying to find the word I'm looking for. It, was, it wasn't the end of the world for me, is how I'm trying to say it. Which is good to know, because I think, Again, for, for anyone, male or female, hearing that you're dealing with infertility, either one that can be treated or not, um, it can be very, can be a lot to deal with. Again, because there's not a lot of awareness about it. People assume that lots of people can easily have children. So when you hear or get a certain diagnosis that changes that, it can be very lonely, right? Because you don't... Yeah. You don't have a lot of people speaking about the fact that they are actually dealing with something similar or they did or even options to consider um you know so you're going through all of that that was just 
I cannot even begin to imagine what that must have felt like. Um, but to then go through all of that and then decide now to raise awareness and speak about it, knowing fully well that it's still highly stigmatized. I mean, you mentioned how people might have reacted even within your family if you had told them. And quite frankly, many people in Nigeria and I'm sure across the globe could have similar fears because sometimes people are not so nice. People can be quite mean uh, with their comments and statements um, when they find out that you're dealing with infertility or you're not able to conceive as sweetly, quote unquote, as others might have. Sure. So what made you decide to speak out knowing fully well what could come out of that? You know, how people might respond, what people might say about you, people might say to you. Well, it's probably kind of to do now. That's a really good way of how you put it to me, because there was another part of our story there that is actually you've just actually kind of put the dots together in my head that I've never actually realized. Uh, OK, so when when we were looking for our sperm donor. Before that. Like I was already open to the idea of using a sperm donor because originally when the urologist in Ireland had been such, just such a dick to me yeah. saying I was infertile, here was a second consultant with much more experience saying, well, that door hasn't necessarily closed. It might close, but there's a chance you have sperm. So there was this option for me now. But because Jonathan Ramsey said, you can't put all your eggs in one basket, and people listening, one of the reasons I've become such an advocate for this is because I go for therapy. And I went for a lot of therapy when I was going through all this. I went for a lot of therapy with all the crap of my family. And if guys are listening to this and they're going, I don't want to do that, that's not for me. That's a sign of weakness. I'm telling you now, it's not. It's a sign of strength to ask for help. Because there's so many people, like women are fantastic at asking for help. Like honestly, like I honestly believe, and this sounds, I don't mean to, this to sound condescending and it's not condescending. Like, I honestly think women are the stronger sex. Like this. Like, Yay. <laughs> it's true. But, but it is true. Like women carry so much emotional baggage for guys. Like we were going to, I know it kind of got slightly gone off, off the, the it's okay, okay. okay. you're getting right. lots of brownie points right now so continue oh. yeah go ahead <laughs> so so Anna and I would go to support groups here in Ireland you know about like um there's a there's a group here called the NISIG which is the National Infertility Support and Information Group and that's for couples like Anna and I that were struggling to conceive naturally and we'd all form a circle and you know Anna and I would say I, I'd stand up and say oh not stand up hi I'm Gareth I'm XXY I found out blah, 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 and I would talk, and we work our way around the room, okay? And sometimes we would be there, and there would be other guys present, and they wouldn't talk, and their partners would talk on behalf of them. And, I, and then I had guys come up to me afterwards saying, Gareth, what you said was amazing. You gave me such insight. I feel so much better now. And then I would say, but you didn't say anything. Ah, uh, you don't want to hear my story. And there's always this deflection, you know, right. And I said, going, for fuck's sake, let me be the judge of that. 
let me hear your story. And it isn't like we're going to go for pints and ever see you again. Okay, Ireland's not a big country, <laughs> but I'm not being going to give, give them a rag. Like, oh, do you remember me from four years ago? Let's go for pints. You know, you know, there's all this baggage. And like we 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 met people who said that that the couple were struggling, and the woman who didn't have I don't like using the word problem, but we'll just use that word problem. That when they're talking to people, because the guy was struggling himself, and because of the way society is, that you know everyone is so aware that women experience infertility. Like it's out there all the time. We see TV programs. And to be honest, I'm probably gone off here, but I get pissed off watching TV programs. Like there's stuff on Netflix, the only <laughs> character who experiences infertility is a woman. It's never a man. So what happens then when people like me were struggling with our infertility, we felt really alone because there'd be all these TV programs, people who experience infertility, it's always women. And then you're, as a guy, when you're in that boat and you don't see anything in reality or well, TV, you know, is that reality? Not, but you know, you don't see any other potential people or characters in a TV program who could be like you. You know, so you kind of feel more alone because the way society is is stacked currently. I and I really don't agree with this. Of course, I don't. Is that it's not a realistic um, way to be. That. I've lost my train of thought, but I'm trying to say, sorry. Is yeah, 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 that you, you mentioned the fact that, you know, it's not realistic that most of the things we see is that it's about women, but it's not exactly. true. Yeah. yeah, and like women are, like, I honestly believe, I do, and I, and I said, and it's not being condescending, women definitely are the stronger sex. Women ask for help. They ask for, they talk to their friends. They seek help. Guys don't. Like, they don't. Um, to the best of my knowledge, I, I know we talked beforehand about the recording, in 17 months, I have done 23 radio interviews across Ireland and the UK. Very impressive, Garrett. Really <laughs> well done. No, it, it's, it's amazing because we need to see men speaking about it because even like you said, other men will see that, hey, there's someone else like me out there. It's not just me. Or perhaps I can opt to go get tested because if you don't get tested, you're never going to know. Of course. Like with XXY, like you said, people could be trying to conceive for years and it might never happen, right? Considering what's, what the diagnosis is, but if you're not getting, not even getting a semen analysis done, how are you going to know that? Of course. You're not going to know. So it's important. Yeah, and it's and like, it, it's really important. And like, I'm not sure, like I'd love to talk to another guy, you know, I don't know anyone on the African continent that I'm aware of who speaks out like, like, yeah. And you can imagine, I mean, even saying that, you can imagine what you what the stats was based on what you said that you know, on average, maybe one in five hundred, maybe one in six hundred, you know, depending on each country, whatever the case, but that's a lot of people. And that means, people. yeah, that's a lot of people that are yeah. not even sure that they have that can like you know, that you don't have it. Yeah, or I'm even if they find out that they have it. To even be able to say it, say it out because it's not easy. People are not nice, and no, they're not. afraid of what people are gonna say. And like you said, they feel perhaps it makes them less of a man, which of course is not reality. Because again, no one chose to be that way. So how how can he make it less of a man or less of a woman? It's not. Well, you know, but... it's yeah, yeah, it's it's so true. Like there's um, 
again, this is again the way my brain works because I've done so many interviews. I kind of th articulate. I try always trying to articulate the visual thoughts in my head into words, which sometimes mm. is quite mentally draining, but because the way my brain works. So a few last year, I kind of came. To, I wouldn't say an epiphany, but I kind of came to this visual way of how my brain works, of why I believe men the world over find it difficult to talk about this. I was trying to think, because I had a TED talk coming up and I was trying to think of a visual way. And I talked to a journalist about it. And what I've come to believe is that there's this primitive race going on between men the world over. Okay, there's this evolutionary part of our brain about when we have sex, our genes go to the next generation and it's going on all the time. Okay. So mm. everyone can kind of relate to that. Like, but when a guy learns that he is knocked out of that race, even though he's happily married, you know, he feels, Oh, I'm less of a man because I'm now knocked out of that race with other guys, even though, you know, they're not all sleeping around with different people. No, it's not like, mm. that, you know, and, uh, that they're knocked out of the race, that they're less of a man because they're not part of this big race, which is the mm. biggest load of crap going because you can still be a father. Like, you know, I'm a dad now. I know I've jumped around in our, in our, in our, in our, on our story here, but I'm dad to donor conceived twins who exist because of the person I am. And I would not ever change myself I am very proud to not have sperm because of the children I have these days. Amazing. And yeah. thank you for saying that because I wanted to actually touch on that to, to say to people listen that you now have uh, children, like you mentioned, twins. Twins. We have a boy and a girl, and their nicknames are Abba and Tutu. <laughs> Lovely. You're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and of course, you know donor conception or using donor gametes is becoming quite um, popular, quote unquote, or common uh, globally. Um, but I find that, I mean, I know that many parts of the world we are promoting the fact that it's important to tell your children early and to ensure that they are aware. We're, we're, of that. we're of that opinion. We've already told them. Okay, that's wonderful because I was, I was, you know, I was going to go there. The fact that some people might be afraid that, you know, people might, what other might say to them or how the, the children might say, well, you know, I want to go. One of the fears I hear from people is that I might want to go find, quote unquote, uh, who the donor was and they might not want that to happen or they might be concerned about what people might say. Uh, so what's what do you want to tell people like that that are afraid of telling their children or... Well, there, there was a part of the story. Now, I, if the people, I know we don't have forever time in this, but if we we went to an event in Belfast that is mm. run by another charity called the Donor Conception Network, and that oh. is dcnetwork.org. And if people are going to these events and stuff like that, the, what I found most difficult was trying to have a tangible physical thing of someone I can relate to that was that had used donor sperm or was a donor conceived person because it seemed very abstract of using like I was open to using sperm but I didn't have I didn't know anyone that was donor conceived in Ireland 
or the UK. I didn't know anyone. Um, and it was, I, was, oh, I was on board about doing it, but I wanted to learn about it. And Anna found out about this event and we went to in Belfast. And a guy talked, Danny is his name, and he'd lost the ability to produce sperm. Uh, his t t testicles had twisted. And he got really emotional talking about his donor conceived children. And it was really, really moving. And it was really powerful. And then a woman t stood up. Her name is Katie or Lucy. She's still involved. And she's a donor conceived woman. And I think it's something that she said to me was kind of maybe the inner fire within me about becoming an advocate about raising awareness of male infertility. Because when she stood up, she said, okay, the guy who gave the sperm for me to exist, sure, he's important, but he's not my dad. My dad is the man who changed my nappies, brought me to school, taught me to drive, brought me to university. He is my dad. And oh, when I heard that, so sweet. Yeah. it was this massive fucking bombshell. It was like, this is amazing. And she never... She never thought of the sperm donor as her dad. She never said that when she talked. And from talking to you, I've just realized maybe that was probably that original, here was a person talking about, like she existed because yeah. of the sperm donor. She was like 20, she was 28, 29 probably now. And she was just so, she was just such a beautiful person, a really decent, lovely human. And guys listen to this, you know, I look, I've been there and I know how difficult it is. And, you know, but the thing is, is you have to remember as well. It's like, I have met people who are regular XY men who can naturally have children. And to be honest, they shouldn't have children. They're awful fathers. You know, you can still be a dad. You can still raise children with your values. Yes. If you want to. It's not about the genes. It's about love, caring, and there's going some love, you know, love and caring, love of course. That's the most important thing. Yes. Like, like our twins, the twins always say to me, "Daddy." They don't say to me, "Oh, you're not my dad." Like, not that it, they don't have the language. They're only three, but you know, like I said like, the, the, those kids are fantastic. Sure, our home's destroyed. Of course, it is. But like, um, <laughs> that that's what happens when you have children, and for people <laughs> listening. You, you can still be a parent for guys listening who are kind of like, oh, you know, I won't see the similarities in my child to me. But like our twins, one of our kids, the boy, Tutu, he's really like me. He's really chatty. And he, <laughs> you know, he's probably picked it up from me because I love having the chats. And he's always saying to me, oh, daddy, daddy, stop talking to people. Like he said, that's <laughs> <laughs> funny. <laughs> Um, yeah, I just, I just want people to hear that. It's, it's not yeah. about the genetics. It's about love. That's so important. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. No problem. And how early did you tell your twins? Did you start we, telling? Because I think people wonder when should they tell? Should they wait till they're 18? No, or teenager no. Or like when is a good time? Because we went to the Donor Conception Network and there was all this dash of the show that basically... Along the lines of, this is my understanding from what we took away and from Anna has talked about this. So I'm going to kind of quote Anna this because she kind of <laughs> did a really good way of explaining it is that if you keep it as a secret, 
you know, if you kind of sit the child down at 16 and say, okay, do the way we said we're mom and dad. Well, mom, I'm your mom. And, you know, we use, say, a donor egg. Mm-hmm. That kind of, then the, the way, basically, my understanding is that you're turning it into a big secret, that, that there's something shameful of being donor conceived. Right. So we have told the kids, like we are telling the kids from when they're a few months old, like we, we still refer to them. We, we, there's a story here oh, so about one that a bear they loved that was trying to be a honeybee and described mm-hmm. itself. And we weaved the Jonathan Ramsey and Erica Foster, like the children know who they are. Like I'm still in touch with Erica Foster every week. We oh, see her photographs of the kids. I have a great relationship with her. Um, and, you know, sometimes we do video calls and the kids will say hello to Erica. And like, I very much champion Jonathan Ramsey, Erica Foster, because, because of what, because they're amazing. Like these are fantastic people. And I know sometimes people say, oh, they get into it to make the money. They don't get into to make money. They get into this because they want to help people and they have a caring heart. And they're very... They're very professional and they're very um what's the word I'm look, I've forgotten the word I'm trying to find to kind of these they're just caring, decent people and they're not doing it to make cash. That's just my feeling and uh, on it. But to get back to like yes, we've we've told the kids from from day one, almost day one, that that they're donor conceived children. And it's just part of their life. It's part of their story. Like, like even when I'm walking down the road, like last week, I bumped into my ex-girlfriend. Mm. And she said, oh, my God, Gareth, you've twins. How, <laughs> like, how, how? I said, well, she said, do you want to hear something really interesting? And, and she said, and I pointed, because they're running around the place, and they know this. I said, those children exist because I don't have sperm. And she was out with her, her mum and her sister, and they're going, what? But how's that possible? <laughs> and I, because I'm so proud. Yeah. Of who they are. And they're great crack. They charge around the place and they're messing and all the rest of it, but they're great fun. And again, they exist because of the per- because of who I am. Yeah. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing. And for saying it like that, I think that was really, really helpful. And it can help a lot of people listening as well. So thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um if people want to learn about XXY, I'm a European advocate for the Living with XXY Foundation. So I think it was set up about 2017, 2018. And the guy who set it up is an amazing guy called Ryan Burgetti, and he has XXY. And he set up this nonprofit to bring awareness uh, on the traits of XXY, because when you Google XXY, there's a lot, there's so much negativity about it. There is endless negativity. A lot of medical professionals I have met don't believe, don't not believe, they don't realize how prevalent XXY is. And a lot of people like, you know, there's some really awful images online. Like I've seen people putting up images and and texts on Instagram saying, if you're XXY, that you're retarded. Like, wow. Yeah. Like that's the biggest fucking insult. I actually messaged someone one day and said, I'm an XXY person and I'm telling you, you're talking shit. Like I was probably nicer in my language. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying yeah, now. That's an well. awful thing to say. Why would anybody put that? Like, yeah. I don't understand people. So yeah, going like, where, where are you basing that on? Yeah. Uh, you know, like the guy who originally d- discovered it, 
this guy called Joseph Kleinefelter in 1942. And hmm. I believe the study was on only nine men. So when people are, are, are Googling XXY or Kleinefelter syndrome, they need to be aware that a lot of the studies on XXY are on studies of really small groups of men, which, which often is not a true reflection of how wide the spectrum are is. So if people find, okay, there are some people can, by the way, can develop breasts because of this extra X. I don't have that problem. I know some men that do have it. Some of them have looked to get surgery to have it removed, the, the excess, um, excess skin and stuff like that. Right. Um, but then I felt other guys, a guy from Malta contacted me there recently and he, had, he has this problem. But he said it's part of his body and it's just, it's just who he is. So it's kind of, it comes down to that individual and how they kind of see themselves. Maybe I'm different in that I don't see the, the, the negatives. Okay, I'm yeah. tall. I, I, I don't have sperm. But as I've touched on that, I don't care. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, it's not, I have to take testosterone injections. So I take, um, so every 14 weeks, I get an intramuscular testosterone injection and that tops my, not my, that's not natural of course now, but it, it tops my testosterone levels back up into the, the range where Jonathan Ramsey believes it's acceptable for my body to be operating in. Right. And like, since then I've gone on to run three further marathons being XXY and my most recent marathon to give an, an idea into what is I was saying about the resilience of people who are XXY. Yeah. So uh, I, I, I know we're nearly out of time here, but I, the way it was going to work out for my, my next, so the Dublin marathon was at the end of October last year. And my next testosterone injection was, was about four days after the Dublin marathon. And uh-huh. I know if I contacted Jonathan Ramsey, he would have said that injection earlier, you're going to do a shitload of running. You're going to need that. But yeah. out of choice, out of choice, I ran the Dublin marathon knowing that my testosterone levels were going to be low. And I always get a blood test before I get my intramuscular injection. And then I send the results to Jonathan Ramsey because then he can see what is happening in my body every mm-hmm. four it's a really good way for people who are xxy to keep on top of how their body is is um a good way to monitor their bloodstream and stuff in their body and when the results came back my levels were back down like they're 11 between 11 and 13 again and i still did that run like i got injured a mile 18 or 19 and had to walk the rest of the way but it wasn't fatigue that took me out it was um an injury and out of choice, I ran that distance, knowing my testosterone was going to be low. <laughs> no, wow. I, well it is done, Garrett. Maybe I'll do a marathon one day. Sure. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, yeah, right. It was oh, a oh, of it. Like they're great. Like I, I ran, um, I ran another half marathon there just before Christmas, and I ran another. You was so funny. This is some kind of. You're just like, hey, I'm gonna do a marathon. All right, okay, another one, another one. That's they're addictive. That's the 
I'm sorry. I love Ronnie. I love it. I absolutely love it. It's brilliant. That's good. It is good to stay active. I mean, so it's amazing listening to you. It's just in my head and think, oh, wow, that's not happening anytime soon. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I can live that part through you. (laughs) Yeah. So for people listening, because you mentioned the fact that some of the websites and the information out there is not so uh, true. So for, for anyone listening and wanting to know more about the XXY syndrome yeah. and, you know, check or if they feel that they might want to exceed more to ensure that perhaps they have it or someone they know might have it or whatever sure. the case may be. What are some of the sites that you want to recommend for them to check out? OK, so the first thing to find out, the first thing to do is to check out the, the website that I'm um, an advocate for. Okay. Which is living, L-I-V-I-N-G, with W-I-T-H-X-X-Y dot org. Living okay. dot org. There is um, a Facebook group in that. Um, okay. I'm, I'm one of the moderators on it. And there's one or two little questions why you want to join the group. And that's a really good supportive group. Um, okay. Because what I will say about being XXY is not all people like that are like this, but I find that a lot of people, not, I don't mean not a lot of people. I, I mean, I'll rephrase it. I mean, I have seen people online blaming all their problems on XXY. Okay. And I, I don't mean, I'm sure some people do have problems. and I'm not aware of people who have more severe problems than I do, but you, you can still have a fantastic life. You know, your life will not, it isn't like you're going to die 20 years younger having XXY. That is my, my, my impression from the various things I've looked at about having XXY. Um, what, what, I just want to mention that, like, it, it, isn't, it isn't like it's a death sentence having it. Like, there, as I said, there are some fantastic traits that we have you yes know, really that memory and being able to you know the roadmap yeah that's like, amazing yeah it's fantastic it's really so good. creative as well right yeah like like it's a really good um like i would have really good and i know other guys people are trying to think of visual way a lot of guys have very good spatial awareness skills so if we're going on a trip on a holiday i always pack the car because i can just look at the stuff beside the car <laughs> And visualize the whole stuff in the car. And nine oh, times wow. I can put it all in. It isn't like a big fucking mess and then it's all squashed in around the rest of it. It's all in properly in the car. And other XXY guys can do that. Um what was I going to say? Oh yes, yeah, so livingwithxxy.org is the website. There's a really good Facebook group. And the people who are on that Facebook, it's not a huge group. It's like there's thousands and thousands of people. I think it's about five, six hundred. That's and a lot. That's that's a decent number. Yeah, yeah. Like, but it's I I like it's a good group, and there's a good mix of people. There's a lot of mothers of children with XXY in it. Okay. Um, it's a really good thing, and um, there's guys across Europe in it. Um, I'm not sure how many people from the continent of Africa are on it, so maybe it'll be a big influx now, and it'll be yeah. good. <laughs> you know? um, the Donor Conception Network, if they want to get more information, that's the UK. That's dcnetwork.org. Okay. 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 Uh, and then if they want to contact me, originally, yes. how we what's got to know each other. Yes, what's the best way to reach out to you? So it's my Instagram, which is, um, excuse me, at prettyfly4xxy. And that's a number four. 
right. I put that in the, I'll put that oh, in the yeah. notes as well. So. Yeah, pretty fly for XXY. And um, or, or, yeah, and if they kind of Google my name, Gareth Landy, they can read numerous articles um, that I'm that I'm doing. I'm actually now, I actually now want to become, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but become a full-time advocate. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, actually, this is the first kind of platform that I've actually kind of said that I've been thinking about it. And people want to know more about male infertility. Like Definitely. It's rising globally. So we need more awareness, more people to get tested, to even know that that's the thing. Yeah, but there's only, there's three other guys in the UK that are as active as I am about raising awareness of XXY. And yeah, I know a couple of them. You know, there's four of us together for the whole of Ireland and the UK. Like, come on, where's the rest of the lads? <laughs> and um, yeah, like, like, and again, if someone's listening to this and they want to contact me or they want me to ask a question, or if, if anyone ever is listening who wants me to come on their podcast, not a problem. I'll chat to anyone. If they thank want to hear me rant away, not a problem. And thank you for always willing to speak about it because, again, I think it's just that there's been so much focus on women being um, the ones that are impacted by infertility. That oftentimes, when you know, for some people, even the men are not getting tested. So, for them to even get tested, people need more awareness. And then when people actually find out that there might be a problem, they might not want to speak about it because they're not really seeing anyone else speak about it and then they, they feel so alone. Yeah. So, you know, the more you're speaking about it and sharing your story and raising awareness and letting them know that it doesn't make them less of a man, oh, I absolutely. think the more people are going to be open and even reach out and want to speak about it and even connect with you, right? To say that, oh, well, absolutely. perhaps, yeah, yeah perhaps it's not bad. And, and you have twins now, like, you know, so yeah. again, people know that it's possible. Oh, yeah. options. It's, it's really interesting what I have found, Ola, as well as when I tell people about something so personal as I don't have sperm and I'm so proud of that. I There's a guy I've become really good pals with. Now, he doesn't have children, He but it ended up that he had um, heart surgery and we've become really good pals because I opened up in a forest park one day just on the chats the way I am. I love chats to people. But because I'm so open and so honest about something so that is deemed or is perceived as a very personal and taboo subject because I just name it. Yeah. Find that men let their guard down, that they will just open up about, oh, like this guy told me, he said, God, that's incredible. I, I didn't know that was a thing. And then he said, you know, recently, within the last year, this is probably about a year ago, he said, I had to get heart surgery. Um, there was a valve in my heart blocked. And I didn't know this guy. Wow. And I find, again, because... If people open up about something as taboo, which is perceived perceived, sorry, as a taboo subject, guys the world over will talk about. They'll open up about other stuff because exactly, which is really interesting. You know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. but that's it, right? Because once once you hear other people's stories, you're like, oh, okay, then I feel okay sharing mine as well, and, and that's so important. Yeah, and it's you know, I was going to say something there. I've lost my. And it must have been really helpful for him to get to speak out to you, right? Because that's something very personal. Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't know how many friends he's told about. Well, we, we both love running. And that was probably a part of the chat too, of course. But mm. um, but it's, it is amazing that, you know, maybe it's unique to me. I don't think it's unique to me. Maybe 
I don't know what I'm trying to say. I've, I've got all these thoughts in my head. <laughs> I can't <laughs> them into vision, in, a, in, audio, in an audio way. But I'm, like I just, like I said, I would not change myself. Oh, I do remember now. This is what I meant to say. If you are born XXY, it's not your fault. And it's not your yes. parents' fault. It's just a random event that happens. And again, some of the language that is referred to people as XXY I have a problem with because it's so negative. Like I've seen texts written being XXY. Oh, they talk about the chromosomal thing. It's a, oh, that person is an error. An error. Like, are you fucking like, I'm getting kind of emotional about this, but I'm not an error. And look at all the things I've done. I'm not saying I'm the best person in the world. Of course not. Well, you're amazing. You are amazing, Derek. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) You are, you know, and like you said, you're, you're not an error and people shouldn't refer to anyone like that it's just mean yeah. and unnecessary I'm not, I'm not really sure why people feel the need yeah and could, imagine that sentence was just written as um xxy that how that person was created was a random event like that that would that reads much better and isn't as potentially upsetting to that person yeah. um yeah, I'm just really probably quite aware of the use of language. That's probably Anna rubbing off of me because she's a speech and language therapist. No, but it's very important because, again, like with your experience and the first urologist, that experience was really devastating. And I'm not sure if you hadn't met uh, the second uh, urologist, uh, Jonathan Ramsey, in uh, the UK. If you hadn't met him, you might have gone ahead and thought that's how every urologist was. Absolutely. And also, you might not have ever even proceeded to explore anything else because of that whole experience right so it's so important how people communicate and say things words matter like like uh, before we finish up like my one of my main goals now i would now originally i was going to say for ireland the uk but if i could somehow or other make this happen for the whole world would be absolutely fantastic to to find out if you're XXY, it's a particular genetic blood test, which is really expensive. Like like most people, like this this is roughly this is the statistics to do with XXY. Like you're talking around seventy five percent of people out there in the world don't know they're XXY. This is why, wow. yeah. So most this is why it's the most common underdiagnosed, and I I feel that a leading into or factor into that is the prohibitive cost of the of the genetic blood test when i got that in 2017 2018 it was four or five hundred pounds like that's that's a lot you know i I don't know what that will be in the currency in nigeria but um ryan briganti said in the states it's eleven twelve hundred dollars for that test like it's it's prohibitively expensive that you know it's very very expensive do you know um, the name of the test? I, I don't know. I should know, but I can't remember. <laughs> I'll, I'll reach out to you afterwards, because if you know, it'd be nice to put that as well in the notes, because people can at least ask about it. it, it do you know what I'll do is I, I'll email Jonathan Ramsey. and I'll Okay, ask, that'd be perfect. He'll yes. give the actual, because there might be a particular universal title, and if yeah. I, you know, that is seen across the world, and that might be, that, that's what I'll do, no problem. Um. So this will be one of my goals is to reduce that cost of that test significantly or make it free. Because Thank you, Garrett. I hope that thing comes to pass. I, well, be um, because there are guys out there now 
finish on this, they're always saying about this testosterone scale. So there are guys out there who've contacted me and they find out what their testosterone level is and all their life they've been operating on the levels of three or four. Wow. Yeah. So they're permanently fatigued, permanently, you know, exhausted all the time, no energy, run down, um, don't know why. And then if they get if they find out their XXY, they can they have the they have the option then of going on uh, testosterone replacement ter- therapy TRT, and it it took me the best part of four and a half to five years for my levels to rise up to where they are now. Like it's a slow process; it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, um, but it's like there are people out there right now who don't know their XXY and they might be working in farming, you know, they might be working with, I don't know, they might be trying to build buildings and they're constantly tired and fatigued and they look like they're really strong, but they don't know why. And this is a way to find out. It's, it's, to best my knowledge, the only way to find out is through the genetic blood test. Thank you for sharing that. And I'll follow up with these, so I can put that in the notes. It'd be nice to get more people tested. Yeah, um, no problem. Just to yeah. check if that's what if they have that or not so as a final you know you you really i know that anyone that's listened to to you uh to this episode has learned a whole lot uh garrett so thank you so much for for all that you're doing and for choosing to keep speaking and raising awareness to support so many it's so important that we see men also speaking about this and you for being so vulnerable to share your story and all this happened so far and then willing to help so many others. Thank you so much. But as a final word, um, before we wrap up, I want to ask is, you know, there's a lot of people dealing with infertility globally, uh, male factor infertility mm-hmm. is also rising. For any man or woman or couple or anyone at all listening, uh, currently trying to conceive sure. or p- specifically experiencing male factor infertility, uh, do you have any words of encouragement that you'd like to share? I would say, um, firstly, don't go onto Facebook on those endless threads. Uh, or I'm just picking Facebook, Instagram, I throw in there. There, I would say there's there's probably quite a lot of myth and misinformation out there, firstly. And but the most important thing is don't ever feel alone. Never feel alone ever. Um you can reach out to me, I'm sure they can reach out to you. Um there is an amazing support group of people out there who've experienced infertility or have an idea of what it's like. And just never ever feel alone. That's what I would say. Thank you. It's very important, Garrett. Thank you so much for all that you're doing Thank for coming you. here. It really has been amazing having you. I've learned so much, and I know that our listeners have learned so much as well. Well, thank um, thanks for having me on. I thought we'd never get the interview. <laughs> I know. <laughs> We've known each other for such a long time. I've been trying to make this happen, so I'm glad that this finally happened today, and uh, hopefully in the near future, if I'm in Dublin, then we get to even oh, that'd be amazing. spend some time, yes, with you and your family. Oh, so. that'd be brilliant. Yes, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Garrett. It really has been so inspiring and encouraging. And thank you for all that you're doing to raise awareness and support so many others. Uh, we need more this. people speaking out like you. So thank you. No problem. And we look forward to having you again in the near future.
Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.